All right, the parables of Jesus. Let's get going into this. Uh, this is where we're at, and uh, we've been talking about some of these. Parable means, what does it mean? To throw alongside. Man, we're good. We're learning some, something. We learned something this <laughs> last few weeks. To throw alongside, and what we're throwing alongside is a spiritual truth to a real-life story. Okay, those two things are going to come together alongside each other, and uh, Jesus is going to teach something that we would never get if he just said it like with heavenly words, we'd be like, what? Uh, he's going to say it in a way that as human beings we can understand, like from the cannon to the curb. Uh, that's the idea here, is, is something that we would never get spiritually to something that we can grab onto physically and then begin to go, oh, okay, that's what the kingdom is about. And so they're packed with issues. There's always one main point, but then there's other side issues that kind of are raised in these parables. They take sudden turns. They take shocking turns. They leave you hanging. They're, they're like a cool movie that just ends, and it's like, whoa, that was cool, right? That's what they are. They're like these just action-packed, hard-hitting, punched you know, in, the, in the head kind of like stories that just make you go, whoa. And sometimes they call people out, you know, these parables. They just call you out. And they make you go, whoa, that's me he's talking about. Like, this is about me. Um, and they, they make you kind of walk away scratching your head sometimes going, what, what was that all about? Like, because they take these shocking turns. Well, in today's parable, Jesus comes in contact with a woman. And this woman is going to demonstrate to us today this undeniable thanksgiving. An undeniable thanksgiving. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 7. Flip over to Luke chapter 7. You're going to want to be there. Okay, and you're going to want to dig into this with us. Luke chapter 7. It's a parable about this woman and Jesus and a guy named Simon and a room full of people just having a good old time. And Jesus is going to say something. He's going to say a number of things in this parable that's going to make us kind of go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's crazy. That's nuts. And so we're just going to kind of march through this, uh, the parable real quick, the uh, story. First there's a setting, then there's a parable, then there's a teaching, and then there's four kind of points I want to point out that I think we can draw out of this that will help for our own lives, like kind of understand what it is Jesus is trying to say to us. So first of all, it's the setting, and we're in chapter 7, and we're at verse 36. Okay, verse 36 to 39, look what he says. He says, now one of the Pharisees, and this guy's name is Simon, we're going to find out in a minute, invites Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. That's kind of an interesting kind of concept, right? And we don't, you know, we come and we sit at a table. Back then, they didn't have chairs uh, so much. They laid kind of like, I don't know, your imagination could go with however you want because as you read the story, they're laying in a really weird place, maybe sideways, maybe backwards, I don't know. But their elbows are to the table, their head is to the table, and the table's down low, and they're reclining at the table, and they're eating, they're having dinner, right? And, and they're reclined at the table, verse 37, when a woman, this woman who had lived this sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she learns this. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair. 
kissed them, and she poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw him, or saw this, he said to himself, to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Let's just stop right there, because this is kind of the setting of what's happening. Now, at first, this seems like what's happening, but really all this is is the setting to what is going to happen, to something bigger, something greater, something deeper, something more important. So just just point out a few things about those verses. Uh, It's this Pharisee's home, and, you know, he's a religious leader, probably a prominent one, one who has some money. He's got people over his house. He's, He's... Obviously, like, he's invited Jesus to his house. So, like, that's kind of out of the norm. Most of the Pharisees were, like, didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They were ready to have him done away with, get rid of this guy. But this one, like, kind of like Nicodemus, is kind of open-minded, and he's thinking, you know, I'm going to invite Jesus to my house and um, talk to him, see what I can get out of him, maybe trip him up, maybe trap Jesus. I don't, you know, who knows why he did this? We just know that he, he is invited Jesus to his house, and they're, they're stretched out, laying at this table, and they're eating, and there's lots of people there. And uh, Jesus is uh, just minding his own business, right, at the table, just enjoying the conversation. Like, Jesus, as far as we know, he didn't, like, set all this up. This, this just kind of unfolds, kind of like our lives, right? It just sometimes just unfolds, and that's what's going to happen here. If you think about it like that, it's just going to kind of unfold. And so he's minding his own business, uh, and he, he responds to this invitation, and so he's there, which is also an amazing point about Jesus, because, you know, this is, in a way, the opposition. This is the Pharisees. This is the religious leaders. They don't like Jesus, and he's not too cool with them, but he loves everyone. And so he puts himself in places where he can do some good for people who who don't like what he's doing. Now, that's a, that's a truth that we need to kind of grab onto because that's what we should be doing as a church, putting our, as a Christian, putting ourselves in places with people who don't know Jesus. That's, a, that's an incredible truth just right there that we need to like draw out of this thing. So Jesus is where he can do some good. He has put himself in a place with people who are sinners and sinful and against him. And so there he is. He's just minding his own business. He's accepted the invitation and he's there. He showed up where he needs to be. Isn't that cool? He didn't just hang out with his little buddies the whole time, hiding from everybody. He's where he should be. And a woman comes in Right? She just comes in and she anoints his feet. She knows of Jesus. Somehow she knows of Jesus because the text says that she learned, she knew that Jesus was coming and that he was at this house. And so she makes her way to this house. You know, she's on a, she's on a mission. And she makes her way to this house. And then the Pharisee, when she begins to anoint Jesus' feet behind him as he's laying down, which is kind of hard to picture that, but it's happening. The Pharisee questions Jesus, like to himself, like he, he should know. He should know who this woman is, right? How is he letting her touch him? She is a sinful person. Everybody knows that. And so he, he questions Jesus in his mind. 
or, or to himself. And what this is doing, all of this is just setting the stage. This is just setting the stage, this, this story, this incident, this thing that happened, is setting the stage for something more important, for something more valuable for the parable, for the story, for the truth of heaven to be given out. Now that is so incredible, isn't it? Because I mean, we go through life and things happen. Just this, this is just happening. Guy invites Jesus over, he comes over to his house, and you know, you at, uh, on the surface you would just think, oh, what a nice party, and everyone go home. But no. And when God is involved, something else is going to happen. And if we have like eyes to see it, we're going to catch it. If we don't, we're just going to think it was a cool party. It was just a good time we had together. But when we realize that God is using our circumstances and our things and our plans and our work and whatever it is he has us doing, he's using them for a greater purpose than bigger things happen. So we get to verse 40, and this is the parable. Okay, verse 40, Jesus says, okay, so this has all happened. The man's question, Simon's questioning himself. And Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Okay, you gotta, you got to be looking at this. you gotta be, you got to be like staring at this passage. Because what Jesus is doing, he wants Simon, he wants to help Simon take a leap. He wants to help Simon see beyond what's happening physically and get what's happening spiritually or on a much deeper uh, level. And so he wants Simon to understand that something valuable about the kingdom of God is going to happen right now. He's going to share with Simon the Father's perspective concerning what's going on right here and right now in this room with this woman and this meal with this woman and Jesus. He wants Simon to get something greater than what he would ever get on his own. And a lot of it is because of Simon's attitude that this is happening, right? He, he hasn't said a word yet. Simon hasn't said a word. He hasn't said a word toward this woman uh, is wrong. Uh, uh, he hasn't said anything toward this woman is, is wrong and she's a sinner. And he said this to himself, right? He's, he's thinking this in his own mind. And so Jesus says, I have something to tell you, right? And he says, tell me, teacher, right? So he's got a little bit of eagerness to learn something from Jesus. He knows Jesus is someone special. It's why he's invited him to his house. And the words there, tell me, teacher, basically means this. Uh, master, say on. Yeah. Master, say on. That's kind of a crazy way to say it, right? You'd never say, if uh, somebody came up to you and said, hey, I got something to tell you, you would say, never say, Jason, say on. You know, it just sounds weird, doesn't it? It does, I mean, but that's what the, it means here. That's the, the original kind of wording is, master, Simon says, master, say on. Tell me. And um, although he has questioned Simon has questioned Jesus's kind of like his, his knowledge of who this woman is, that he's a prophet. He's questioning who Jesus really is because of what's happening physically. And so Jesus, he shares this parable, and it's a story about two people. Both of them are like in the same boat. One is worse off, like us, like two people who are in debt. So just like us, right? Okay, most of us. In debt, some worse than others. And uh, it's a comparison story, parable, of two people, but it's a revelation of the heart. It's two physical stories of things that are true and happen to people, but it's a revelation of what's going on inside of those two people. So verse 41 says this, Jesus says, two people 
owed a certain money lender, a you know, creditor, a banker, owed him money. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. So one 500, the other 50, and back then there were coins, there were the shekel, which was a Jewish coin, or like that was used for the temple tax, for religious things, and then there was the denarii, which was a Roman, a Roman, uh, a Roman coin, it had Caesar's picture on it or carving on it. It was worth about 15 to 20 cents, somewhere in that ballpark. And one denarii was like a wage, a day's wage for a soldier. So, you know, that's a lot, really. You think about it, what you make in a day or what most people make in a day, that's what a denarii was, was one day's wage. Well, one owes 500, this other person owes 50. We don't know who these people are. We don't know what gender they are. We don't know anything about them other than they owed money, one 500, one 50, and neither could pay the debt. And so the lender forgave them both. Forgave them both. Your debt is paid, forgiven. Generous, right, forgiving, merciful creditor. Don't you wish you had some of those? Like they came to you and said, your house is paid off. Wouldn't that be nice, Trish? Yeah. He's a generous person, this, this creditor, right? The idea of the word here that he forgave them both is the word cherish, is which we get the word grace from, grace. This, this amount of grace was poured out on both of them for their debt, and they were cleaned. They were wiped away. And that's it, short and sweet, just this little bitty parable story. And now, Jesus says, now which, which of them will love more? Which of them will love him, the creditor? Which of them will love or appreciate maybe feel the most relief by what just happened. And Simon says, Simon says, he says, I suppose the one with the bigger debt. Sounds logical, right? And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. And that's the end of the parable. And he gives this comparison then in verses 44 to 50. If you're looking at those verses... This, let me, let's just read those verses, 44 to 50. It says, in verse 43, you have judged correctly. And Jesus said, then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Let's just stop right there. So he gives this comparison between this, this judgmental Pharisee named Simon and this humble woman uh, named woman. And both who owe this debt, both have a debt, although one is greater uh, than the other, right? And so Jesus turns to the woman and he's looking now at this woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says, do you see this woman? 
Like, I mean, you could almost like picture this, right? You know, Jesus is in this room with these people and all this is going on and now the crowd is, is all, their attention is on what Jesus is saying and what Simon is doing and what this woman is doing and they're all, you know, conjuring up ideas of what they think should be done and who she is and why would Jesus let her touch her or him or his feet or, you know, who knows? They got all these thoughts going on, but Jesus just kind of stops, you know, after this teaching and he turns to this woman almost like, like, like he, he's got her back. He's on her side. I'm right here with you, lady. Just hang in there. Okay, because the whole room is probably against her. Like everybody in the place is, is probably like looking down at her. And Jesus looks at the woman, turns to the woman. Remember, he's, she's behind him. And he says to Simon, who's somewhere around the table probably, do you see this woman? And then he does this, this she-you comparison that ties into the parable. And there's no doubt here that Simon, in Simon's mind, when he's thinking about the parable, he's thinking that she, she is the greater sinner, the greater debt. She is the one with the 500. He is the one with the maybe 50 right? She's the sinner. I'm the righteous. That's what's going on in Simon, you know, as you kind of, this whole thing unfolds. And then Jesus says, I came into your house. And look at these verses again. And you, you didn't give me any water for my feet. And she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So when you came into a house, it was custom to either provide a servant who had washed feet, right, from the journey, or at least have water there for you to wash your own feet. But Simon hasn't done that. But she, she's used her tears and her hair to wash Jesus' feet. He says, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. It was customary to come in and give a greeting of some kind, right? Greet one another with a kiss of love, right? Paul says that a number of times. That was something that was kind of procedure. You welcome people into your home. You give them a kiss, give them a hug, right? When you see somebody. Simon didn't do that either. Verse 46, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And perhaps that was a way of uh, blessing a guest when they came to your home with oil as a way of saying, you know, peace or welcome or Something along those lines. It, what, what's happening here is there's been no respect shown toward Jesus by Simon. Invited him into his house, and that's kind of good. But outside of that, there's been nothing else to show any respect for Jesus and who he is. And so he says, verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. This is good. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And there's some good stuff here. And Simon, Simon, the one with the lesser debt, is left hanging. He's just left hanging because Jesus has said this about this woman 
but Simon is just left hanging there. This woman's faith has come to life like in worship and action, and Simon's faith has remained unseen with no respect shown at all. Undeniable thanksgiving. What, what does that even look like? We see what it looks like with this woman, but what does that look like? What happened here for you and for me? Let's talk about that. Here's what it looks like. Number one, this, 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 this undeniable thanksgiving looks like this. It realizes, number one, that sin has separated me from God. That's what it does, first of all. It realizes that, that I have a position with God, and I understand what that position is, and I am separated by my sin with God. It's a clear understanding of my position in light of creation, in light of God, in light of mankind, in light of sin, in light of eternity. I understand where I stand with God without Jesus. I'm a sinner. That's what it understands. And this woman is referred to as a sinful woman. They all should be labeled that, right? But this woman particularly is living a sinful life, most likely the known prostitute of the town, Everyone knew who she was. Everyone referred to that kind of person like that, and they kind of accepted the label. They understood, I'm a sinful person. That's what I am. That's what I do in the world. She is nameless, and she is labeled by the world. She realizes that she is a sinner, but she also realizes she has a big, big need for Jesus. And when Jesus speaks to her, he never refers to her as a sinful woman, but just woman. And he says to her, the, the connection between Jesus and her is this, her many sins are forgiven, and your faith has saved you, go in peace. Those are the words that Jesus says directly to her. She is she in her sinful or sinfulness, get this, she in her sinfulness understands something that Simon, in his righteousness, does not. He will never get it. He will never get this in his righteousness. She recognizes who she is. She recognizes where she is. She understands her position in relationship to God and to Jesus. She understands, first of all, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And the one who thinks he is the lesser in debt is actually the greater. Number two, undeniable thanksgiving comes seeking the Savior. That's what it does. Comes seeking the Savior. Note, she just comes to where Jesus is. Now that's so cool, isn't it? Like she is, she's heard, she's, somehow she's learned of Jesus. Maybe she's seen Jesus. She's seen him do some miracles or do some things or give some teachings. But somehow she knew Jesus is in town and he is going to this Pharisee's house named Simon and she learns where he is and she goes there. Now that's bold. I mean, think about that. This is a sinful woman. Everyone makes fun of her. Everyone mocks her. No one wants to be near her. And yet she walks into the midst of this Pharisee's house because Jesus is there and she has come prepared to bless him. She's like thought this out. And she's like, I'm just going to go march in there and I'm going to fall at his feet and I don't care what anyone says, I don't care what anyone thinks, I don't care what anyone else does, this is what I'm going to do. You know what that's called? That's called conviction. Something we don't have much of anymore. It's when, when you know, like she knows this is what she needs to do to be close to God. 
Or this is what she needs to do to get right with God. Or this is what I need to do to serve God. Or this is what I want to do because God has done so much for me. And conviction sets in and nobody's going to stop you. And it's the kind of thing that when you tell other people they think you're nuts, you know, they think you're crazy, right? They think you've got to be out of your mind. You're going to go do what? You're going to make a living doing that? You're going to go on the mission field? What? Usually conviction, when you have conviction, only a few people are going to get it. The rest are going to, going to have their reasons why you shouldn't do it. But she does it, because if she would have asked a few people prior to this, they would have talked her out of it, right? Don't, don't do it. You're going to humiliate yourself if you go in there. She doesn't care. She's going in. She's going in. She's going in. She's like, I don't care what happens here. I'm just going to go for it. And, and this, this undeniable thanksgiving, it comes seeking with a humble heart. And that's the difference here, right? Comes seeking with a humble heart. She got, Jesus got invited by a Pharisee of righteousness, and in comes this woman with this humility. And those are the, the, two, like, the two expanses, right? Those are the two ends of it all. All right? The reason for the humility is grace, right? That's why we come seeking the Savior in humility. The money lender, remember, forgave them both. Both were forgiven. Both had equal opportunity to show thanksgiving and appreciation, but only one did. And she comes seeking Jesus. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Now, that might sound a little weird, right? Somebody said, your faith has saved you. Like, we can't save ourselves, right? 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 We can't. But her faith, like the personal surrendering of her will to Jesus, her faith in Jesus, the one who can save her, has saved her. But it took her faith in Jesus. It took her will being surrendered to Jesus. It's like a team effort, right? His grace offered to anyone, connected or plus, anyone else's response in faith to Jesus will save that person. It isn't just what Jesus did, and it's not just what you did. It's the coming together of the two. And he says, your faith has saved you. Your personal faith, your surrendering, the surrendering of our will, right, in the Son of God is what saves you. But you have a part in it, right? And she comes seeking the Savior. Number three, here's what undeniable Thanksgiving looks like. It explodes in something worshipful and evident. It just does. Like, like when Jesus saved you or when you came to know Christ at some point in your past, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you gave your life at some point when you realize what Jesus has done for you, that resulted in, in, it resulted in something. You knew you had to go do something. That God had called you, he had saved you, and he has a plan for your life and a purpose for you, and you had to go do something. Now, I hope that happened to you. If it didn't, you need to do it, whatever it is. He didn't save you to sit on the sidelines or sit in a pew or sit on the bench. He saved you for a purpose. And when he does, when you come to him, that just explodes in you with conviction and a desire to go do something that is evident to everyone around. Verse 47 says this, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And then look what it says, As her great love has shown. Think about that, right? 
She's thinking, I'm a bad person. Like, not like Rambo bad, but I'm a sinful person. I'm a bad person. I need lots of grace. And when the grace is given, you have to just go do something big to match the grace that was given and the sin that was covered, right? That's what's happening here. And that's what he says. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. The evidence of the grace everyone can see. He says her her great love is shown, her appreciation, her thanksgiving back to God. Her love, her faith has meat. It has substance. There's movement and there's action. When Jesus came into your life, did your life change at all? Did it change one bit? What happened when Jesus came into your life? And what's the evidence that he's in your life? There should be some evidence. I think you would agree. She pursues Jesus. She pursues Jesus. He's at the house. I'm going there. I don't care what anyone says. And she comes with oil to anoint. She fights through her personal embarrassment and the possibility of being like labeled and embarrassed some more. She weeps at his feet. She's wetting his feet with her tears. She's wiping them with her hair. She's kissing his feet. She's pouring perfume on them. And before she even has a word with Jesus, her life is being changed. The thought of being with Jesus has produced a fire in her heart that will never be quenched by anyone. And she's just got to do something. She is just going to do something. She can't contain it. When Jesus is in, you aren't going to be able to contain it. You're going to go do. You're going to go do something for God, for his glory, to match what he's done for you. And I hope this morning some of you are sitting here thinking, I have never done that. I have never, I have never even attempted to do, to, to follow my convictions of what I feel God is calling me to do. Well, I want you to, to go do it. I pray to God that you will leave here today convicted to go and match the grace that was shown you. So she demonstrates this extravagant appreciation. And the cool thing is, All the people in the room, they see it. Nobody can deny it. Her life is being changed. Number four, last thing is this. Undeniable thanksgiving walks away in peace. Walks away in peace. That is so amazing. So after Jesus forgives her, and there's lots of things about that that go on we're not going to get into, but after Jesus forgives her, He says, go in peace. This woman did not come in peace. I mean, she came in peace with Jesus, that what she was going to do with Jesus or for Jesus. But she was in turmoil. She was living a life that, I I don't know that anybody would want to be labeled what she was labeled. Now, she might have brought that on herself, sure. She might have... Who knows why she did what she did or was living the way she was living. We don't know. But she was labeled the thing that you would never want to be labeled. Like the, 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 the town drunk. Like nobody goes after that. You know, don't chase after being labeled the town drunk. You don't go after being labeled the sinful woman who lives in town and gives her body to everybody and anybody. You would not want that for your life as you think forward. You would never want that. Nobody would. 
Nobody. But that's where she is. And she came into the room in that condition, hoping for a miracle, right? This is like a, this is like a Hail Mary toss. This is like, this is my one chance to, to, to just be near Jesus, to do something for Jesus, to maybe get his attention somehow and hope that he will do something like drastic to change my whole future. Like, I don't want to continue being labeled the sinful woman from town. And only Jesus can change that. Nobody else. Like, she knows that. And the cool thing is it happens. <laughs> like, it happens for her. He says, go in peace. Earlier in, in, in the Gospels, Jesus said, he said this, come to me, all you who are weary, right? and I will give you rest. Right? I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. Jesus says, you come to me, and in this world of tribulation and turmoil, in the middle of it all, I'll give you rest. And he says to her in the midst of all the chaos and the pointing of fingers and, and the thoughts that Jesus knows, he says to her, go in peace. And this is God peace. This is like inner rest. This is the kind of inner peace and God rest that cuts through all of the world's stuff, all of the stress, all of the craziness of your life. This is the peace that only God can give. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives. It's different than that. It's not world peace. This is soul peace. And you only get it in Jesus. You only find it there. Simon did not get that. He is left in his great big cover-up of sinfulness. You know, you know, that pretend... I'm okay, you're okay, we're all good, everything's good. Yeah, how you doing? Oh, I'm great, I'm good. Yeah, pretend I'm good with God. That cover-up. Simon is left right there. But not this woman. Jesus says to her, go in peace. This peace of God changes your spiritual location. Not just your spiritual condition, but it changes your spiritual location. It lifts you from a worldly cares and it places you in the presence of God. That's what this peace means. It actually means this. Go into peace. That's what the word means. Go into peace. Like you would go and live in a new home, you go into peace. That's what Jesus is saying to her. Not just go in peace, but go into peace. And that's different. That's just like different than throwing somebody the peace sign, like peace, brother. This is like you are now living in peace. You are now transformed into peace. You are into the presence of God, into peace. There's been this transformation, and Jesus has come and given it to her. See, we walk away different. Our lives are completely changed forever when we come into this peace. And then we can't help but do something. Like, we can't help ourselves but do something that's going to bring glory to God. See, faith in Jesus always, it always manifests itself in action. And for her, she's weeping and she's worshiping at his feet. And she came into peace. Like, she left totally different than she came. Can you imagine the difference in her walking in and then her walking out? Could you imagine the singing and the jumping and the leaping for joy that is now going on in her life? 
because she has been changed by Jesus. So let me ask you, what change has he made in you? Like what change has he made in you, in your life? What has he done? What's happened? When he came into your life, did anything change other than your t-shirts or your bumper stickers or where you are on Sunday mornings? Did anything change in your life? How do you come to Jesus? That's a good question. Like, how do you come to him? Do you come as a righteous person, God's lucky to have me? Or do you come like this woman, sinful, knowing your need of, of, of Christ and who he is? Undeniable thanksgiving. Undeniable thanksgiving demonstrates what it demonstrates, this undeniable thanksgiving that, that you're going to have around the turkey table this week. Like as you sit around and you, you say, hey, what are you thankful for? Or you think this week, what am I thankful for? It, it says, man, I am so thankful that Jesus came to this earth for me. I mean, there's nothing greater. Doesn't matter what else happens. Doesn't matter what else you eat or don't eat. Doesn't matter if there's onions in it. Doesn't matter, right? What matters is that Jesus came for you. And I am just so thankful. Let's pray. Father, we, we're just humbled by this woman who fought through so much to be with you in that room filled with people who she knew were going to make fun of her. Oh, in comparison, God, we have a hard time getting, showing up here, getting people to come, people to come to, to Bible study. And this woman, this woman would, would do anything in the world to be near you. Father, I pray that that spirit, that, that passion would fill us, that humbleness and hunger for you would just fill us and remain full, that we'd never run dry or empty of it. That every day we wake up, we realize how much we need you and how far we are from being like you but how great your grace is for us and that we would want to match that grace and our sinfulness with activity and action that, that glorifies the, the God of the universe. Father, not because we're trying to earn anything, but because we appreciate you so much and we want to do everything that we possibly can that others might experience that. Break our hearts, Father. Crush us. Do something in us that we can't do for ourselves, just like this woman. But draw us, Father, close to you, because you're the only one who can do anything about it. And we pray, God, today that you will. Move in every one of us, each of our hearts, God. Move in a powerful way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.